0: You may be seated. After I cheer for one of my grandsons at one sporting event or another on Saturdays, my voice goes into a lower range, and I don't seem to fit in between. You know, you find yourself some in there too. That's where I am this morning. Often, uh, as I reflect on our worship together uh, and on the various parts of worship, not just the sermon, but the prayers. Um, And as Tyler and I compose prayers unique almost every Sunday uh, to to relate to the theme of our, uh, our text that we are going to examine with our sermon we uh, we, th- we try to put ourselves in your place, particularly as we are writing prayers. Um, we We want to be with you. We always want to help you say something we think you and we need to say and should say, and it is something that's on our minds. Sometimes I wonder when I give you silence whether it's been too long and some of you are saying when is he going to end this silence (laughs) and for others you may say oh that's too soon i have more to more to confess Um, but i sometimes i'm not counting or anything like that i'm praying myself and remembering things i need to present to the lord but as I thought about that a number of times in the past months, I thought also about the very prayer of confession. I do not know if, if all of you or most of you know that we are one of the few types of churches that includes a prayer of confession, perhaps that's different, or even a prayer of confession in each of our worship services. Now, the liturgical churches like the Episcopal and the Catholic churches that celebrate the Lord's Supper or the Holy Eucharist, every worship service, there is some confession in their prayers leading up to that. But as far as churches that include a specific prayer of confession, you may not know that many other churches do not do that uh, every Sunday. We believe it's very important and so I thought it was worth us seeing how uh, the apostles encouraged us to do that. And so uh, that is the subject of our sermon. Uh, let's pray for understanding of this text we received from the first letter of John. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for causing those you spoke through to remember to pass it on uh, orally and then to put things into writing and then for all of those faithful servants of yours who have translated from one language to another continuing today even around the world into the languages of people who do not have your words we thank you for organizations like Wycliffe Bible Translators Lord and uh, we thank you for doing this. And we ask now that you would help us and all of your people around the world to hear your words this morning and understand them. We need your Spirit, God, and acknowledge that to understand what you are communicating to all of us and sometimes to one of us in particular. Help us this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our text is only six verses, out of the first letter of John and uh, uh, John starts that great letter off with a wonderful paragraph that bears repeating and I'll resist reading the whole thing but he says we declare to you what was from the beginning what we have heard what we have seen with our eyes what we have looked at and touched with our hands wow he is he is putting together their personal experience encountering Christ in the flesh, seeing him, hearing him, touching him. That's what he's talking about. And then he goes on to say this, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word this morning. Well, the title of the sermon is Confession is Good for the Soul, but I debated for a couple of days whether to call this Why Did You Leave Us, Cleopas? Now, if you were not here and did not see the YouTube last week, uh, we looked at the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus on the day of resurrection. On the very day of resurrection, two of the disciples of Jesus left Jerusalem for Emmaus, seven miles away. And we talked about that, how Jesus then walked, uh, suddenly appeared and started walking with them. And how he uh, asked them why, why, what they were talking about. And they said, "Are you the only one who's who was in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have just happened there?" And he says, "What things?" And they say, and they begin saying that he was a a prophet, mighty in word and deed. But they crucified him and buried him. And uh, and we had hoped that he was the one that was going to deliver Israel. And Jesus says, "Oh." How foolish you are, how slow of heart to understand all the things about the Messiah that he should have died and he was raised. And he begins to tell them everything in the Old Testament that they should have understood, that would have helped them know: No, he's supposed to die and he is going to be resurrected. And he talks to them still without revealing himself And finally, they get to Emmaus, and they are so on fire now after listening to him. They say, please stay with us, and he does. He breaks bread with them, and when he hands them the bread, they realize it's Jesus, and then he leads them, and they turn around and race back to Jerusalem to report that Jesus has risen to the others only to find out that the others have found that out too and I I I have imagined that uh, later in that evening perhaps the next morning Peter walked up to Cleopas who was one of those two who left Jerusalem giving up and Peter said Why did you leave us, Cleopas? Why did you leave us? And Cleopas may have said to him, We doubted that he would rise. We we believed he was... We saw he was crucified. We saw he was dead. We saw he was buried. He was gone. And we thought everything that we thought he was going to do was gone too. And we left. We were going back home. We doubted. We doubted, Peter. And I could imagine Peter saying to Cleopas and the other disciple, all of us doubted Cleopas. All of us did not believe he would rise. None of us that morning... None of us this morning or yesterday morning raced out to the tomb to see that he was gone. No, we didn't. So, I just think that the, uh, Peter, Peter tried to explain that to them because that's, that's the way they cared for each other. I wanted to say that... Uh, early followers of Jesus were uh, confessing followers of Jesus. Not only did they confess that he was the Messiah and Lord and Savior and Son of God and the light of the world, not only did they confess what they believed, but they also confessed their failures and their faults. Uh, Peter and Paul were two leaders in that. As much as they were leaders in teaching us things, in serving the Lord, they were leaders in being transparent about their lives. There are three great stories of Peter. Uh, There's more than that in there, but there are three wonderful stories of Peter that occur at the beginning of his following Jesus, in the middle of following Jesus, and at the end of following Jesus, the end of, of uh, just before Jesus was crucified. The first of those was when he was in, uh, on the shore of Sea of Galilee in his boat, and Jesus came out, and he was teaching a crowd, and Jesus said, put into your boat for a, 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 and push off for a catch of fish. And Peter says, well, Lord, we've been fishing all night, and we've caught nothing. And but I'll I'll do it for you. So he does, throws his net off, not expecting anything to come back. He can't pull it out because it's full of fish. He knows the feel of fish in his net. Not only some, but his net was full of fish. And he turns to Jesus and no longer calls him master or teacher. He says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I have, nothing, I have nothing in common with you. I don't deserve to, to be around you. Right at the beginning, he was open about the kind of life he'd lived, the kind of man he was, and said he didn't belong with Jesus. And Jesus assured him he wanted him anyway and said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. In the middle of Jesus' ministry, Jesus reveals himself more to them, saying what's going to happen, and he tells them, he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be taken captive, he's going to be tried, he's going to be beaten, he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles, be crucified, dead, but on the third day he'll rise again from the dead. And Peter walks up to Jesus and takes him aside, I think, and they walk away from the others, and Peter says, Lord, that's not going to happen, that's a terrible idea. Now, let's come up with a better plan than that. And Jesus turns his back on him and says, get behind me, Satan. How is that Peter confessing? Peter's the author of that story. How would anyone else know it unless Peter had told it that that's what he had done? The stories we have of the apostles and many of the other people Jesus encountered, they often became the ones who told that story, and that story circulated, and they were the correctors of that story. What would truly happen? The last one with Peter was when Jesus was telling them that he was going to be taken captive and going to die, and um, Peter says, and he said, you will all desert me. This was the night before he was crucified, and Peter said, even if all the others desert you, I won't. I will, I will die with you, Lord. And you know what Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows twice tomorrow, you will have denied me three times. Peter was the one that confessed that, that lack of faith in Jesus or confessed his a distorted idea of himself. Confessed his failure to be a follower of Jesus and in, in the right way. Letting Jesus say what was going to happen and what should happen in his life. The things that Peter revealed about himself all along, and it follows on even into Acts. Peter shares his his lack of understanding about who who the gospel is for. So Peter was a confessing follower. So was Paul. Repeatedly, Paul admitted his sins to the early churches. In several of his letters, he tells his story. He sums it up in uh, this text, which I believe is in, in his first letter to Timothy, and it's where he says this, Jesus, our Lord, judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence. But the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst he was not exaggerating or boasting he truly felt terrible remorse for what he had done he had been violent he made he, he was participant in the killing of stephen one of the first deacons uh, paul uh, was very aware that he had been violent toward the church And he considered himself the worst of sinners because he really took action to put down all of the followers of Jesus and crush the memory of Jesus. And when he realized who Jesus was, when Jesus appeared to him, he was appalled at what he had been doing. For the rest of his life, he considered himself the worst of sinners. All the first followers were confessing followers of Jesus. Matthew, the tax collector. Thomas, the doubter. Tyler told us that story of Jesus appearing to the disciples. And Thomas, who had told the rest of the disciples, I wouldn't believe that he had risen from the grave unless I could put my hand in his side and see the wounds in his hands. He doubted, even when the others said we saw him. John confessed his sins. We little realize it. Most people don't. But in the fourth account of the gospel, written by John the apostle, followed Jesus as a young man, maybe a teenager, late teens, for three years, This John, writing his fourth account of the gospel, never mentions his own name when he's telling the stories of Jesus with the disciples. Whenever he referred to himself doing something with Jesus, he always called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. And for many people who read that, they think, what an arrogant guy he is. Like, Jesus didn't love the others? unless we know that the word John was using for love was agape, loved in spite of. So every time John referred to himself in his own account of the gospel, he was saying the disciple whom Jesus loved in spite of all his sins. John was a confessing follower of Jesus too. Mary Magdalene, who let everyone know she was set free from seven demons, horrible behavior. Her life was a a terrible mess. She let people know that. Uh, They repeated their stories uh, of the brokenness in their lives. I even dare to mention to you that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a confessing follower of jesus we can't imagine that but mary had her moments when she did not understand who her son was even with her knowledge of his birth and all about it for the gospel accounts report that mary the mother of jesus and jesus's brothers showed up one day where jesus was teaching a great crowd because they had heard that he was off his rocker and they needed to come get him. Of course people would think that when they hear Jesus making the claims that he made. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. No wonder they considered him a blasphemer. But he backed it up with what he could do, what he knew, how he loved and especially his resurrection. Confession was in all the stories of the first generation of followers of Jesus. In our sermon text for this morning, John emphasizes exactly how essential and how powerful it is for us to confess our sins, to be honest to be candid before the Lord, to be transparent, and even before one another. In these six verses, we see three relationships that our confessional attitude in life gives us. Three relationships, our confessional approach to life, approach to ourselves, three relationships that confession gives us. The first of those is our relationship with God, obviously. Here again is that verse 5 in chapter 1 of John. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all or people who are dark at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. Our our relationship with God is broken in our darkness and our brokenness, in our disobedience, in our arrogance, in our self-centeredness. But it is always God who takes the first step in restoring a relationship with us. And John's fourth account of the gospel was written when he was very old. He had many years to grow in his understanding of the deeper meanings of what he heard Jesus teach many crowds. Over the years, he walked with the Spirit of his Lord and he realized the depth of what Jesus said and the depth of what he did. And John is the one who heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world, as did Matthew who wrote that in his gospel account too. John reminds us of the great images of light and dark, of good and evil, of truth and lies, of life and death. John loved the images Jesus gave us so that we could See him deeper and deeper and deeper the longer we lived. Coming face to face with the light of the world always reveals the darkness we live in. John tells us that when we admit our darkness, God removes our darkness. Because he took our darkness on himself on the cross. And reconciled us to Himself as cleansed, whole, now innocent people. Yes, the first relationship that confession enables is our return to God. And our relationship with Him is sustained day by day, week by week, year by year in our lives by giving God our sin. The second relationship that confession gives us, though, is with each other. See again that text in 1 John, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Our darkness, our sin, drives us apart from one another. We are violent with one another. Our news media pages, screens, are full day after day after day with our fractured relationships. With our families, with our neighbors, with strangers, with people who are different. Walking in the light means seeing ourselves as we really are, as God sees us, and as Jesus has seen us. Coming face to face with God and Christ brings us face to face with every dark closet in our own lives. Some of that has been uh, we've been oblivious to. Some of that we have buried in denial. Some of that has paralyzed us. And all of that drives us further and further apart from one another. Our news is filled with the results of that in every possible way. But Jesus said this to us. Matthew captured it in his Sermon on the Mount, about chapter 7. Jesus said, Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your neighbor, Let me take the speck out of your eye? while the log is in your own eye. Jesus goes on to speak about that. That is such a very clear illustration of confession. Acknowledge what's in our own life. Deal with the truth. Let God show us things we've yet to see and hand them back to him and asking for forgiveness, being cleansed, being made whole. It's, it's an amazing little picture the speck in others' eyes, the log in our own eye. Admitting our darkness, our sins, and receiving forgiveness enables us to forgive one another. We pray it, every Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It enables us to love each other. Confession does enables us to love each other as husbands and wives. Marriage is impossible without it. As parents and children, parents should set an example for children on admitting wrong, even being wronged with our child. It is a good thing to show our children, sons and daughters, that we make mistakes that we were wrong, that we did something we shouldn't have. It teaches them to do the same. Confession enables us to love in our families and in the family of God. No congregation comes together and loves one another without there being an honesty of forgiveness and a practice of confession and lives that are shaped by grace. It enables us to love our neighbors and love them in spite of their darkness, and even love our enemies whose darkness threatens us. Confession is essential and powerful. The third relationship which confession gives us is with ourselves. He says, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We struggle with the worst in other people because we struggle with the worst in ourselves. We focus on the faults of other people because we are ashamed of the faults within ourselves. Or we're denying or ignorant of the faults within ourselves. We condemn other people because we feel condemned within ourselves. We offer no grace or mercy to others when we have found no grace or mercy for ourselves. But when we confess and ask for forgiveness, God cleanses us and sets us free from all the damage that's inside, in our lives, currently, in our past he removes it. One of the most important things people can really grasp and practice in their lives as followers of Jesus. You don't give it to Him and still take it home. If you were one of the members who, who was here in my earlier edition years ago, you may remember that one of my favorite movies was a movie called The Mission. It came out in 1986 starring Robert De Niro and Jeremy Irons. It was um, a movie of a Jesuit mission set in the jungles um, of Uruguay, Paraguay, Brazil. There's a corner of the three of them and there's a A beautiful waterfall, Iguazu waterfall. Some of you have seen it, been there maybe. I may be pronouncing it wrong. I should have gotten it. It's an enormous, beautiful waterfall. And the movie portrays the Jesuit mission to the Guarani people. Irons is the priest, the Jesuit priest in the white. Robert De Niro was a Spanish a military a veteran who had moved into an occupation of being a slave trader. And he would enter those jungles with companions and attack the native tribes up there, capture them, and bring them back into the plantations for the colonial powers to, to use these uh, natives of the Guarani people as uh, free labor slaves. Meanwhile, the Jesuit priests are saying, no, these are human beings. They're not animals. You cannot treat them that way. It's an amazing movie. De Niro's character is in such disarray and darkness in his life that not only does he attack the people of the tribes, but he ends up attacking his own brother, younger brother, and killing him In a fit of anger when he realizes what he's done he is plunged into great despair somehow or another he and the Jesuit priest come together and the priest introduces him to the forgiveness of Christ he begins to respond to that and the priest takes the warrior back up to the tribe to introduce them as human beings to be loved. The Nero's character, the soldier, decides that what he needs to do is take all of his armor, all of his weapons, everything he used to attack people, put them in a huge rope net and put a tie that net on a long strap around his head and as repentance he would drag that all the way from the plantations in the city on up into the jungle including climbing the rocks beside the falls. One of the great scenes in that movie is when he is in the river pulling this contraption that represents his sin and he's pulling it along this tortuous journey and he approaches the tribe who have assembled knowing that the Jesuit priest who they've come to love is returning to them and they see this guy who is their arch enemy coming with the priest and he's dragging this thing behind him and all of a sudden as irons gets closer as as the priest and Uh, De Niro's soldier character gets close to the tribe's people coming up. One of the young braves puts his knife in his mouth and runs down the path, jumping over rocks to get to De Niro. And when he gets him, he grabs his hair, pulls out his knife, and you think he's going to cut his throat off. Instead, he takes the rope and cuts the rope off. What a powerful symbol of what God does. Even sending his son to be the one to remove our sins from us. It's a wonderful movie. You can still watch it, I think, on Netflix. That's what God has done for us. That's what has enabled us to have a marvelous, eternal relationship with God. God and with each other, to really love one another as Jesus has loved us. That's what enables us to live with ourselves and to know how valuable we are to God, to go from all of the darkness into light. You're there. Remember how you got there. Never stop confessing. Never stop asking for forgiveness. Never stop receiving it and knowing you have been cleansed. Thanks be to God. Amen. Tyler and I both uh, write prayers of praise and confession, uh, sometimes taking a phrase from an earlier prayer, but always praying somewhat in mind with the text that we will be looking at from God's Word. And uh, I have on occasions uh, wondered whether I... Pause too long for that silent moment of confession. And some of you are saying, what's he waiting for? (laughs) And for others, you're saying, wait, wait, I'm not finished. Uh, I assure you, I'm not looking at a watch. I'm not counting. I'm thinking of my own current things to lay before the Lord as you are. But I do think about that. And I sometimes wonder, do you pause? Are you able to get going right away? Uh, it's a regular part of our service. Uh, do you need help? Uh, <laughs> I do have, I wonder that. And that also caused me to think even more about The fact that we do this every Sunday. We pray a prayer of confession and give each other the opportunity to confess specifically to God. Many of you do not realize we are one of the few types of churches that do this. There are some churches that celebrate the Lord's Supper or Holy Eucharist or Holy Communion every time they worship. Episcopal, Catholic, Perhaps some Lutheran do some of you have been, but within their liturgy there are the same words of asking for forgiveness. But it's the same every Sunday, and sometimes when it's the same, we're thinking about what we're going to have for lunch. But while we're saying the words, um, but we are a church that believes that uh, confession is integral to our worship. Uh, Calvin taught that and said that it was the most essential part of prayer. amazing confession is. so uh, our text is on the subject of confession. let's pray first and ask God to help us understand what he has spoken to spoken and caused to be written for us, Lord, before we read your word. Uh, and all of the time, we ask for your help in understanding what you have caused to be written. You sometimes speak to us in ways that you intend for us to scratch our heads and to seek you, to, to dig underneath. Uh, so we pray that you would uh, take these words of yours for us this morning and help us Think what you meant and apply them in our lives together. We ask this uh, in your name and for your sake, for the sake of your kingdom, and for the sake of the world, knowing who you are. Amen. So, the first letter of John uh, begins with a paragraph that I will not read the whole thing, but it's an amazing paragraph, the first letter of John just before you get to Revelation um, he says, we declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And he is speaking about Jesus, saying that they saw him, they heard him, they touched him, how real he was. They want, he, he wanted to convey that they were eyewitnesses Not for an instant. Jesus was no UFO. He was here in the flesh for 33 years. And they knew him for three years, day and night for three years. Uh, We can trust their witness. So here's the word from John's fifth verse in that first chapter. Let us listen to God's word now. This is the message which we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for his word. Well, the title of the sermon, I decided finally, was simply, Confession is Good for the Soul. I don't know where that started. I didn't look that up, but I've heard it a lot of times. Perhaps you have too. Uh, Probably was one of our parents told us that. (laughs) Catching us in some Error or another. I thought perhaps I would title this sermon, Why Did You Leave Us, Cleopas? If you were here, you know what I'm referring to. Cleopas was the name of one of the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem. And they were on that road, we learned last week, the very day that Jesus rose from the dead. They were not going to tell about it because they didn't know about it. I tried to explain my firm belief uh, taken from the indication that they were sad, that they were leaving uh, in, a, in their decision to abandon everything about Jesus. He was was now going to be a memory. They had watched him be crucified. They saw him dead. They saw him buried. He was gone, and they were going to be gone. But when Jesus came alongside them on that road to Emmaus, their eyes were kept from recognizing him and he began to engage them in conversation, asking them what they were talking about. They suddenly stopped and were surprised that anyone on their way from Jerusalem would not know of the things that had happened in Jerusalem those days of his crucifixion. He said, what things They described him in a way that was far less than what they should have. And Jesus said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, failing to know all that the prophets said about the Messiah, that he would die for the sins of the world and be raised again. And beginning with Genesis 1, he went through all of the Old Testament, in the space of an hour or an hour and a half, giving them the most marvelous Sunday school lesson anyone has ever had. (laughs) Explaining all that the Old Testament spoke about him. They arrived at Emmaus. Jesus again tested them, said he was, uh, looked like he was going to walk further on without them, and they said, please stay with us, stay with us, stay with us. For their Their heart for him was being rekindled as he spoke to them and opened his word to them. They sat at the meal. He took bread. He blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to them, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized it was Jesus. That's all he wanted, and he left them they did an about-face and hurried back the seven miles, another two-and-a-half-hour hustle, to go and tell the other disciples of Jesus. And when they got there, they found that the disciples of Jesus had already found out Jesus was risen because he had appeared to Peter. And they told their story. Now, I've done a little imagining about that, following that. And I have imagined that given the nature of the fellowship of those disciples of Jesus, the reality that came into their lives with Jesus, opening them all up uh, to who they were, how they needed God, that Peter might have walked up to Cleopas and said, Peter, uh, Cleopas, Why did you leave us? And I can imagine Cleopas explaining that it all looked over to them, that they were done, that they didn't believe he was going to rise. They doubted his word that he would rise. They didn't expect him to. And so they had set out in the middle of the day to go home. Jesus was done, they were done. Their hopes were crushed. Their experience of an amazing time with this prophet, they said, was over. I can imagine Peter saying, Cleopas, we all doubted. None of us believed he would rise again. We weren't all standing out there When it came dawn, yes, some of the women went out and they told us a story, but they didn't see him. Then he appeared to us. Cleopas, we all doubted. We all failed him. None of us believed his word. None of us are what he wants us to be. The first followers of Jesus were confessing followers of Jesus. And in this sense, I don't mean confessing that he was Lord. They did that too. But the other confessing is confessing that I don't deserve to be around you, Lord. I think we fail to recognize how much confession was a part of the lives of the first generation of followers of Christ. I believe Peter and Paul were two leaders in that way also. Take the life of Peter. There are many stories about Peter. It is a great exercise in discipleship to follow just the story of Peter through the four Gospels and on into the book of Acts and even into his letters. There are three stories I want to remind you of this morning and one of them occurred when Simon Peter began his following of Jesus. The second one occurred in the middle of following Jesus. And the third one occurred the, day before, the night before the cross, at the end of Jesus' ministry. The first one was when Peter was still a fisherman, He and his brother Andrew were on the shores of the Sea of Galilee after a night of fishing. Because fishing could only be done at night on the Sea of Galilee. Nobody fished in the daytime. I've explained the reason of that. Huddle up afterwards and remind each other. (laughs) Jesus was teaching a crowd. He asked Peter if he could use his boat Peter said, sure. He was mending nets. After Jesus finished teaching, he said, Peter, push out now for a catch of fish. Peter says, Lord, he says, teacher, we have worked all night and caught nothing. But looking at the eyes, looking at him, he said, but we'll, we'll do that. And out they go. They cast their nets just to do what he said, not expecting anything. Instead, they felt the familiar tug of fish and it was not a few, it was loaded. So much that they had to call the companion boat of James and John, by the way. And the two boats came and drug in this net full of fish. But before they did that, Peter looked at Jesus and said, Lord... Depart from me, go away from me, for I am a sinful man. When Peter recognized really who Jesus was, he, he wanted right away to admit that his life did not match up with the life of any, anyone close to God. However, he was getting a picture of Jesus. He called him Lord, not teacher. And that was enough for him to say he did not belong with Jesus. He confessed from the beginning. Jesus, of course, said, I'm not, I'm not hearing any of that. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And off he went. Peter next confessed to us, really, when he relayed the story himself of The encounter with Jesus, when Jesus first explained to the disciples that he was going to go back to Jerusalem, was going to be taken prisoner, was going to be tried by the Jewish authorities, he was going to be beaten, he was going to be handed over to the Gentiles, and he was going to be killed. But on the third day, he would rise again. the source of that story had to be Peter because he goes on to say that he took Jesus aside and said, Lord, that is not a good idea. You're not going to do that. That's awful. Who told you to do that? And Jesus' words to him were, get behind me, Satan, as Jesus turned his back on Peter. Peter. Peter tells that. The source of the stories in the gospel often are, or have to be in many cases, the one who was in that incident. It's first told in the gospel according to Mark, and Peter was the source of Mark's account of the gospel, written in Rome, where Peter and Mark were together ministering to the church in Rome. The third story that Peter relates to us is when Jesus was speaking to all of his disciples on the night before he was crucified and was telling them that they would all flee from him. They would desert him. And Peter spoke up and said, Lord, the others might, but I will not. I will die with you. And Jesus said, Peter, before the cock crows twice tomorrow, you will have denied me three times. Peter did that. The details of that had to come from Peter himself. The writers of the Gospels were, in several of the cases, disciples themselves, apostles. Luke assembled his account of the gospel from the eyewitnesses. And uh, Peter was a great example of being someone who confessed who he really was and admitted the mistakes he did in the stories he let people tell and that he told himself about his relationship with the Lord. The number of times he failed him acted like a a goofus. (laughs) thinking he was going to tell the Son of God what the Son of God should and shouldn't do. Paul also was a great example of a confessing follower of Jesus. Paul told the story of his persecution of the church in several of his letters. He summed them up in a short paragraph in his first letter to his disciple Timothy. He said, Jesus, our Lord, judged me faithful and appointed me to his service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, a man of violence. But the grace of our Lord overflowed for me. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. You may have read that before. Some translations say, of whom I am chief. I'm head of sins. No, I'm the worst. You may think of plenty of people who could say they were worse than Paul. But Paul said, no. I am set out to destroy all of the followers of Jesus and shut down any memory of Jesus or any claims that he made and make his name disappear in history. And when Paul was encountered by the living Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul was struck with such horror at what he had done For the rest of his life, he claimed that he was the worst of sinners for how he began to try to destroy Christ. He could think of nothing worse. All of the first followers of Jesus were confessing followers. Matthew the tax collector. Thomas the doubter, telling his story. Refusing to believe the rest of the disciples when they said, We've seen Jesus, he's alive. No way. I, I will not believe that. John, whose letter we just wrote, how did he confess again and again in his own account of the gospel? John refused to name his name in the stories of Jesus and the apostles and the disciples as he wrote about them in his fourth account of the gospel whenever he appeared in the story he did not he would name peter but he would say and the disciple whom jesus loved now if you've not heard that sermon about that, John was not bragging that Jesus loved him more than any of the other disciples. John was describing himself as the disciple whom Jesus agaped. And you remember, agape means love for that which is unlovable love for the worst, love for the sinner. So John, every time he wrote or referred to himself, said, the disciple whom Jesus loved in spite of his sinfulness. That's what he was naming about himself. There were others, though, around Jesus. I I honestly declare to you all of them perhaps with the exception of Judas, who didn't get the picture. Mary Magdalene, a woman who is prominently named over and over again the leader of the women who were at that tomb that morning. She named herself as one who had been delivered from seven demons. Her life was in terrible disarray and disorder the problems she caused for other people. She nearly destroyed herself. I even believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was a confessing follower of Jesus. You may ask why. It seems that Mary did the right thing with the birth. Surely she would remember all of that. But there was a point that it fell away. For their occasion is in one of the Gospels where Jesus was teaching. And someone says, Jesus, your mother and brothers are here. For they had been told Jesus was off his rocker. I don't think that was a phrase they used in the New Testament. That's what they were saying. Jesus is out of his mind. You've got to come and take him home. So they came to take him home. And when he was told his mother and brothers were outside, he said, who are my mother and my brothers but those who do the will of God? Mary later realized that he was whom the angel had told her he would be. And she became a follower. She was at the cross, not just because he was her son, but because he was the Lord. She followed right on into the book of Acts, is mentioned there, as with the brothers of Jesus, who with the resurrection, they too understood that he was all and more than what they had heard him describe. In our sermon text this morning, John emphasized exactly how essential and how powerful it is for us to confess our sins and ask for forgiveness. In these six verses, we see three relationships that confession gives us. The first is our relationship with God. Confessing who we are what we've done, what we're doing, what we think, how we feel, that's so far in disorder and darkness. Confessing that opens up our relationship with God. We go back to verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. It is always God who takes the first step in restoring a relationship with us. John's fourth account of the gospel was written when he was very old, perhaps in his 80s or even 90s. He had many years to grow in understanding the deeper meanings Of what he heard Jesus say to many crowds. Over the years, he walked with the Spirit of his Lord and realized the depth of what Jesus said and did. He heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world, as did Matthew. John reminds us of the great images of light and darkness, good and evil. Truth and lies. Life and death. God is light. Apart from him, we're in darkness. Coming face to face with the light of the world always reveals the darkness we live in. John tells us that when we admit our darkness to God, God removes our darkness because he took our darkness upon himself on the cross. He removed it from us. He reconciled us to himself. Confession restores our relationship with God. Apart from it, no. Coming face to face with the light of the world. The second relationship that confession gives us is with each other verse 7 said to us if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin walking in the light means seeing ourselves as we really are we have vision we see the truth more and more the more light we live in the more we see all the details Coming face to face with God in Christ brings us face to face with every dark closet in ourself. Some of that we have been oblivious to. Some of that we have buried in denial. Some of that has paralyzed us. And all of that drives us further and further apart from one another. Our news. On the screen, and over the radio, in print, day after day is filled with the results of how far we are are driven apart from one another. How much we destroy each other in silent ways and in violent ways. It's all around us, all over the world. Jesus said, in a very memorable and so helpful illustration. In what we have as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, Jesus said, Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? And how can you say to your neighbor, Let me take that speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye. Jesus said that there's no way we can spend our time being preoccupied with the tiny infractions of others while we ignore the monumental issues in our own lives. Deal with them. Get them out. Confess them to God. Be transparent with one another in the fellowship with people we can trust to be our brothers and sisters, and help us be real. Admitting our darkness, our sins, and receiving forgiveness enables us to forgive one another. We pray that every Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins of those others against us. It enables us to love each other Confession enables us to love each other as husbands and wives, as parents and children. Without confession, asking for forgiveness in marriage, in parenting, in growing up together in our families, without admitting and asking for forgiveness, we have no chance of holding together as families truly loving each other, encouraging each other, being honest, living in light instead of darkness. Confessing our asking for forgiveness, receiving the grace of God, enables us to live in grace among our neighbors and love them in spite of their darkness, their differences, It enables us even to love our enemies whose darkness threatens us. The power of forgiveness is enormous. The third relationship which confession gives to us is a relationship with our very self. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Stuff, things in us which distort our lives, damage our lives, defeat our lives. Confession, forgiveness, removes so much in us and enables us to be the whole and healthy people God intended for us to be. We struggle with the worst in other people because we struggle with the worst in ourselves. We focus on the faults of other people because we are ashamed of the faults within ourselves. We condemn other people because we feel condemned within ourselves. We offer no grace or mercy to others when we have found no grace or mercy for ourselves. But when we confess and ask for forgiveness... When anyone confesses and asks their Creator, their Heavenly Father, their Lord and Savior for forgiveness, God cleanses us and sets us free, free from great damage and disorder and free for life that's rich and eternal. When we have peace with God through Christ, we finally have peace within ourselves if you were here in my first edition of being in this pulpit with you you may remember that one of my favorite movies of all time was a movie that was produced and um, came out in 1986 called the mission it is a story of a jesuit mission in south america in the corner where Brazil and Paraguay and Uruguay come together. There's a great falls there. And if you seen seen Iguazu, Iguazu Falls, I may be mispronouncing it. The story is set there, and it is an epic movie if you've never seen it. It holds multiple illustrations of the truths of God, in the gospel, but the one that I find so touching and memorable, particularly for restoring the relationship with ourselves, is toward the middle of the movie. There are two chief characters. Jeremy Irons is the Jesuit priest Gabriel, who plays the oboe, and you may hear a Gabriel's oboe being played many instruments now, symphonies now play this, and uh, Irons played that Jesuit priest, Gabriel, up in the jungles above the falls with the Aguarani uh, tribes people of Central South America. And this is a picture out of the movie where they were coming to, to do to him what they had done with any other outsider who came in and previous Jesuit missionaries who came in, but because he sat and played the oboe, they were entranced. The other character was played by Robert De Niro, and he was a Spanish military veteran who had come to South America to make a fortune in trading in slaves And he would take companions and go up into the jungle and attack the natives with the weapons of Europe and uh, capture them, drive them, chain them, lead them down, and sell them to the plantations of the European colonists. Gabriel, the Jesuit priest, kept trying to make a case even to the hierarchy of his own church that these were real human beings. But the hierarchy was caught between the people with money, the plantation owners, who didn't want them to be considered human beings, but to be animals that they could force to work. Iron's character, I mean uh, Robert De Niro's character, the soldier, grew to be so dark in his life that he ended up killing his own brother. And when he did that and realized what he had done, he plunged into despair. The Jesuit priest and the soldier get together in some way, and he realizes there is forgiveness for him, and Irons is going to take him back up and introduce him to real human beings among the Guarani who have come to know that there's a God in Jesus Christ who loves them. Irons uh, leads him there, but De Niro's character decides that he must pay penance. So he takes all of his weapons, his armor, his helmet, heavy things, he loads them into a net, and he is dragging this all the way from the city below the falls, up, up above the falls into the jungle, and he is dragging this which represent his sins. As he gets up to where the tribes people have assembled, waiting for this Jesuit priest to come back and join them, they recognize that someone is with him whom they have hated, who has taken fathers and brothers and sons from them and sisters and mothers as they look at him one of the young tribesmen takes his knife and puts it between his teeth and he runs down the path over boulders going down to where this Spanish soldier is dragging this stuff and he reaches him and he grabs his hair and he takes his knife you think he's going to slit his throat instead he changes and takes the rope rips the rope and separates the soldier from his past from his sins from the disorder and darkness in his life beautiful image of being set free that really happens with Jesus and the cross of Christ for us it's a wonderful image Each of us have been given that experience, that freedom, that new life. Confession is integral to that. It's integral to our relationship with God, with each other, with ourselves. It enables us to love each other as Christ loved us. Apart from that, we're just playing games. You don't want that. I don't want that. You're smart people. Confession is great for the soul. Amen.
1: Speak to me, Lord, for your child is here, waiting on you. Speak to me, Lord, for your child is here, listening, speak to see